welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, all right. Welcome back, everybody, to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, it's been a pretty hectic week for me. Sorry I'm a little bit late getting a new podcast out, but to be honest with you, I've had a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, first off, my Facebook page maxed out, so I thought I was going to be all cool and convert it to a pages, and then after that, uh, I ended up screwing it all up, so then I had an influx of messages coming into the knock-on store saying you know why'd you drop me as a friend so for all of you out there uh, I can guarantee if that happens again that's just me trying to do something cool on Facebook and probably hit the wrong button screwed it all up so sorry about that everybody Um, this past week had quite a bit going on actually Uh, I was down in Oklahoma um, did a little bit of uh, coaching for some individuals and then also uh, swung into Pat's Archery down there in Oklahoma and uh, super awesome store great guys and uh, did a little bit of little seminar for some of those guys in there so uh, it was a really good week I always like to get out and uh, you know get to see archers at the grassroots I mean honestly that's what it's all about for me because really that's what gives me the creative to not only write my articles, but also have some topics for discussion for these podcasts too, because, you know, I really believe in talking about real problems that people are facing and trying to help them through them, because although I've probably been through most of what all you guys are dealing with out there, if you're struggling right now, um, I tend to forget about them. You know, once you've moved on and you've figured out a way to fix it, Uh, you don't really want to continue to occupy your mind with those negative things anyway. So, um, you know, after the seminar, um, I actually went, um, and part of the reason why I went down there, I met met with a a specialist. I've been dealing with um, some issues in my shoulder, which we talked about earlier. I've also been dealing with some issues um, in my hands from some former accidents that I had and also was concerned that I had a partial tear or I was getting ready to tear my, my bicep on my shooting arm. So I went down there and, uh, ended up meeting with a guy, a couple guys that were just amazing. Um, got some, went through a couple hours of some pretty, uh, treacherous shiatsu, um, he actually felt like he was tearing every muscle apart on my shooting arm and in my back and chest. But um, amazingly enough, this guy, his name's Lester Phillips. He's an amazing, amazing trainer. Um, and just, a, man, f- for me, he was a cure-all because this is actually the first time in a long time that I can I can even carry a jug of milk with my left arm without feeling like my biceps getting ready to tear off. So um, he had just informed me that um, you know archers um, are a lot like boxers, and he's a multi 
world championship uh, boxer and kickboxer and Muay Thai fighter. So this guy, uh, he actually travels some with the UFC fighters and works on their hands um, and also their their biceps, similar to mine. And what he told me was a lot of fighters that are punching and getting that you know, that last jar at the end of their punch, you know, you start to develop um, some issues and some inflammation right at your connective tissue, you know, where your forearm uh, goes into your elbow and also where your bicep goes into your elbow. So, man, he, this dude, uh, Lester, you are the smallest, solidest dude I think I've ever seen in I literally wanted to start crying. I mean, I if 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 he could have seen my face, I was kind of curled up in a ball, letting him do my arm. But you know, I think at some point I was um, sucking my thumb. He's literally he gets in there and knows how to to make the biggest of men cry like a girl. But in the end, I have my arm back. So. Uh, I haven't really been able to shoot for several months because I was dealing with that. I had worried about, um, po- you know, possibly tearing my bicep off. Luckily, it's it's nothing like that at all. It was just um, inflammation, a lot of swelling, um, a lot of old scarring just from years and years and years of shooting. So this guy is amazing. Uh, you can Google him. Lester Phillips, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. If any of you guys want to make a serious investment and fly down there and meet with a guy that, that really came highly recommended. Um, other than that, you know, we've kind of started the spring here. Outdoor shooting is dang near upon us. I'm looking on Facebook. I'm seeing friends all over the world. Um, getting to shoot outside um i saw some friends down in mexico posting some groups outside which they get to shoot outside all year anyway but uh there's also one of the one of the danish archers patrick larson he posted some killer groups at 50 meters so it's really cool to see all that stuff uh again it, it definitely the warmer weather gets gets me excited gets me ready to get outside so uh, we've actually got several awesome podcasts coming up over these next several. For those of you out there, um, just so you know, I've got the next one. We're going to have the first ever guy to shoot a 1,400 feet. A uh, very good friend of mine, Clint Freeman from down in Tasmania. Uh, so we're going to talk with Clint on the next podcast about Aeroflight and, uh, because he... Obviously, he was one of the first or the first to shoot the 1400, but he was also one of the first to really understand how important aero flight was when it came to that longer distance shooting. He held the record at 90 meters. Um, So that's going to be an awesome podcast. And then also uh, following that, I'm going to be talking with a guy that is an amazing... um, mathematical genius to archery he is a a testing machine he's an underground guy most of you probably won't even recognize the name uh but he is the guy that i talk to 
and guy and the guy that I go through several theories with in archery, and he helps me through a lot of testing, um, a lot of uh, the tables and ballistic charts that I've built over the years have come from this guy. His name's James Park. So those are going to be some awesome podcasts to come up. So I think you guys are going to be excited about that. For this podcast, um, I'm probably going to get into a few questions if I see some pop up here on Facebook. But for the most part, I really want to talk about something that I continually get asked about, and that is how to to deal with target panic. You know, people start to get it, especially now. A lot of people towards the end of indoor season start to develop some target panic too because they've really been trying to hold um you know, center of the 10, people start posting really high X counts, so then you're trying to keep up with them. So you're trying to to really hold tighter, hold tighter, and along with that, you know, starts to creep in a little bit of target panic, um, a little bit of anxiety, you know, which, um, you know, that anxiety, I guess the definition would be an uneasiness of the mind. So, um you know, I've dealt with target panic, and as much as I hate to say it, I think every archer is going to deal with this at some point. Um, I've dealt with a lot of people who fortunately have not dealt with it yet, um, but it seems like even if they're not dealing with it um, at that particular time, there is going to come a point where they will have to deal with it. So, you know, what I had to do is I really had to convert my way of thinking. I had to go from thinking about where my pin was on the target to start thinking only about the execution. So, you know, I'm actually in the process of of doing a book, um, probably be out later this end of the year, beginning of next year, I assume by the time I get it to print, but... Um, my philosophy on this, and one that's different, is I believe that archery is actually a game that happens behind the line. And, you know, and that might be the name of my book, Archery Behind the Line, because a lot of people focus on what their pin does. And when you focus on what your pin is doing, it's going to develop into anxiety. It's going to develop into that panic. You know, by focusing on what's happening behind the shooting line, then ultimately you're focusing on the activation of your release. You're focusing on your pull. You're focusing on the dynamics of the rear half of your body, everything that's going on um, behind the line. So, you know, I think for any of you out there who are starting to struggle with this, you need to flip-flop your way of thinking and start doing a few things. One is if you do shoot a caliper release right now, um, one thing that you can start doing, a good exercise for you to start doing, is, is, is actually make it a challenge for yourself to see how slow you can pull that trigger you know, get your finger around that trigger and start to pull on it. And then instead of focusing on where your pin is on the target, just let your pin be down by the target, but then just start exercising, 
continuing to pull, 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 and just count in your head. 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1,000, 5, 1,000, 6, 1,000. But continue to build that pressure. And if you can make it a game to where you can you can actually have your finger on that release trigger and actively applying pressure for six, seven, eight seconds before that starts to just naturally fire, then you are going to have um, a big step towards getting over your target panic or anxiety. A lot of people, as soon as their pin is by the target, they want to hit the trigger or they can hold perfectly still on the target as long as their finger isn't on the trigger so you really have to develop the fact that you need to be able to get your finger on the trigger apply some pressure and that and to not be afraid of that you know the one thing that I think all archers start to deal with is you know they they start to to think that they're afraid of missing you know you start to say oh I can't miss but in all fairness the majority of the people that have target panic out there are ones that can't even put their pin on the target. You're actually, instead of being afraid to miss, you need to come to terms with the fact that you're actually afraid to hit. You're not able to comfortably put your pin in the spot where you know the arrow is going to go. The arrow hits behind the pin. If you're not afraid or if you're not able to put your pin on the spot, then then you are afraid to hit. You're afraid to hit the middle. For me, when I convinced myself of that and I realized that that actually was what I was doing, I wasn't afraid to miss. I was actually totally comfortable missing because obviously I could never put my pin on the target. I would freeze beneath the target and then I would try to to lift the pin and punch the trigger at the same time, but I was never able to really keep my pin on the target while I continued to make my shot. So I was, I was totally okay. I was, I was afraid to hit and I was totally comfortable missing. I mean, although I, most people would say that's not how it is, that it, that is definitely how it is because if you weren't if you weren't that way, then you would be able to just keep your pin on the target and execute. And for me, just being a competitor, once I started looking at it that way, you know, it's kind of like once someone decides to quit smoking or, you know, quit drinking or, you know, once you truly put your mind to something and you decide, I don't like that or I do like that, then you're going to make, you're going to make a change and you're going to stand your ground. Target panic's going to be the same way. When you finally get sick of the fact that you are afraid to hit the middle, then you're going to do something about it. And for me, it was to the point where it's like, all right, quit screwing around and put the freaking pin on the target, and I want to see how long I can move this release until it fires. And I remember, you know, I had that... that um, it was a, it was a Carter Revenger that Randy Olmer gave me. We talked about that in an earlier podcast. But I remember putting my pin for the first time on that twelve ring. It was like a forty-two yard deer target or forty yard deer target. I remember putting my red fiber optic 
I put it right on the 12 ring. I could see the 12 back then. My eyes were so good. I could see the 12 with my naked eye still at 40 yards. And I just put it on there. I got my release back. I anchored. I looked through my feet. I was just centered. I I thought, put it on there. Don't have, just do it. You're sick of fighting this, you know. Don't be afraid of missing, you know. So I just put it on there, started to just relax my finger, relax my finger, and I kind of just, like I said, counted in my head, 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1,000, 5, 1,000, boom, the shot went off. I remember that arrow just tick-tocking like a clock through the air and just went right dead into the center of that 12 ring, exactly where I was trying to hold my pin. And for me, I always refer back to that shot. If if I ever am in a position where I'm at a tournament and I need one good arrow, I close my eyes and I visualize that arrow because for me, that was the first time that I truly shot a 10 in my mind and I vividly remember it and from that moment on I just totally committed and decided to be comfortable with the fact that if I focus on what's going on literally behind my bow then everything downrange tends to work out I mean honestly you know, uh, Ulmer called it a relaxed, perfectly relaxed shot. You know, I call it shooting a 10. Um, you know, and I'm not, it doesn't matter where the arrow goes. You know, I can shoot 10s all day long and not score 10s. But if I'm executing on the line, then for the most part, the arrows down the range um, are going to always take care of themselves. And what you'll find is, your consistency as a shooter is going to be dramatically different. So there's a couple different ways you can really start focusing on what's happening behind the line. Obviously, shooting blank bales is a very good start. You know, being able to to just pull back and really strive to find that feeling. Um, once you've done that on some blank targets and you feel like you really understand um, execution... Then, you know, put a target on there and stay close, but keep the target big and focus on looking exactly at where you want to hit. You know, let your subconscious put your pin in that general area, but don't focus on the pin. Focus on where you want to hit. You know, if you look at an Olympic style recurve archer, you know, there's a few now that shoot that shoot a dot or that shoot a pin, but for the longest time, they shot a ring, and those some of the people I've seen, their rings were dang near, you know, big as half of the half of the target down there, and they just draw back. They look through that ring, they let their subconscious center the center of the target in the center of their ring, and they just focus a hundred percent on executing a shot behind the line. They continue to expand and pull, and they do it until they hear the clicker and the arrow fires. And when the arrow fires, it goes to where they're looking. If they execute a 10 on the line, then the majority of the time they're putting 10s in the targets downrange. 
And for me, once I started doing that, my career has shown that time after time after time, you are going to be within striking distance of making the shoot off. You're going to be in striking distance of winning the tournament. For the most part, you're going to have the tools that you need to win. It's just a matter of, for me, it's always a matter of, is this my weekend? You know, I've always been or felt like I've been fairly consistent. You know, I certainly, um, week in and week out, there were there were archers out there that were that were better than me, no doubt about it. But you know, there's going to be times where those archers struggle, and when it when it does, if I can be consistent and I can just kind of be right there every single day, waiting waiting for them to make those mistakes then eventually my days came and you know and it was because that I just kind of always sat there and plugged away and shot my game and you know certain days my game's good enough certain days it's not that's how it goes you know that's another part of overcoming your target panic is realizing that you know if you're trying to make yourself overperform outside of your capabilities, then a lot of times you're going to get a lot tighter. You're going to try to make yourself hold stiller. Um, a lot of times when you try to make yourself hold still, um, you do that by compressing your front shoulder back a little bit so that you kind of lock things up. And yes, you're going to hold stiller, but by doing that, you also cause a lot of changes in your bone structure, in your muscle mass structure, in your back, which also immediately starts to restrict your ability to have movement in the rear half. You're not going to be able to pull through your shot as good. So, you know, if you're serious about getting over target panic, honestly, the best device on the market, period, for getting that done is going to be the Carter Evolution Release. And, you know, Yes, I like Carter. Uh, they're great friends of mine. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, yes, I'm a little bit biased to Carter. But I can tell you right now that if this product, um, years ago, Jerry and I were talking about this same subject, and I started to say, and I told him, I said, if only you could make something, dude, to where um, all people had to do was pull. They didn't have to think about how to twist it or, you know, they didn't have to worry about a click. They didn't have to worry about anything. It was only once they pull it hard enough, it fires. And about two weeks later, typical Jerry, he sends me one in the mail and he says, I think I got it. And honestly, people, when I go work with teams, um, you know, I went to, I went to India for two weeks and I took two dozen of those evolutions down there. And everybody's personal releases they all got put away i mean you know i wanted people to start executing by pulling and focusing on what was happening behind the line and i can tell you right now that some amazing things happen and some amazing things develop down there and i'll tell you that story in a little bit but you know i want you to to understand that this release is going to force you into being uncomfortable because the bottom line is you have anxiety. You have an uneasiness of the mind. 
you're going to have, if you're battling target panic, you're going to be dealing with not being able to get your pin around the target and trust what you're doing with your release. Your brain wants to set it off. So by getting this release, it's going to force you into just pulling through the shot. And if you're not pulling hard enough, it's not going to go off. If you decide to start aiming and compress that front shoulder back and you're not able to have the leverage in the back half of your body and you're not able to have that movement in the rear scapula, then you're not going to be able to, although you think you're pulling your guts out, you're actually not even putting extra pressure on the back wall of the cam. And honestly, a lot of people, a lot of students that I work with, when they start to really focus on aiming and compressing their front shoulder back against their spine or having a high front shoulder, what I'll find is even when they feel like they're pulling their bow in half, I can actually just watch them continue to creep forward. You know, this is very evident for a recurve shooter. Recurve shooters that are shooting with clickers understand very fast the importance of your front shoulder position. If your front shoulder is forward and down on one shot, which is where it needs to be, and then it's back against your spine the next shot or compressed high against your neck the next shot, every single time that varies, so does ultimately your draw length and your ability to expand and pull through your shot. So, you know, years ago, I actually started um, shooting a Olympic-style recurve um, mainly because I wanted to have a better understanding of doing that simply because, you know, I go to seminars, there's always people there that are shooting recurves, and those people are always asking me questions that I was not really comfortable asking. So... I decided to get one. I, uh, I took some private lessons from Juan Carlos, a former gold medalist, um, and George Tekmachov at Hoyt. And, uh, you know, I learned very quickly how much I knew that it was important, but I didn't realize exactly how much the front shoulder position controlled expansion. Once I got a clicker on the bow and I had to pull through, I've, I realized it even more so than with my compound. So that's going to be critical. You know, this release is going to force you into learning all those things. And one thing, you know, one thing that kind of bugs me is I've put students into that release. They shoot amazing. They shoot awesome shots. And then as soon as the tournament comes around, they're like, well, what release should I shoot in the tournament? I think I need to shoot my trigger. And it's like, okay, Here's the release that you can actually execute with, but yet you're not willing to trust that in the tournament because it might be windy or you don't know if you're going to get nervous and you want to be, you know, you don't want to have to worry about sitting there and not be able to to get your shot to go off properly. Well, I'm sorry to say guys, but that is a big part of overcoming target panic. You know, you need to you need to have a gut check. And if it takes you standing on that line and shaking like a leaf and not being able to even get your release to fire and the buzzer goes off and you have to walk off the line with a zero because you couldn't get your release to fire, well, hey, I'm going to give you an applause because that means you were sitting there and actually trying to make a good shot when it mattered the most. And for me, that's probably the biggest step that you've made in your archery career 
because you know what? I've done it. I had it happen. You know, do you think when I went to my first professional tournament and I was shooting this back tension release that I'd been shooting for three months and I've stepped on the line with Jeff Hopkins and Randy Ulmer for the first time ever, do you think I wasn't, you know, crapping myself and having to worry about punching myself in the face with that release or sending an arrow skyballing out into the wide open? I mean, yeah, I, I was scared of all that. But I remember as well when I finally drew back and I fought that release, I had to let down several times because I was nervous, but I told myself, no matter what, you do not make a crap shot. You stand there and you make a good shot. And it took me several times, several draws, before I was able to finally get a shot to go off. And it wasn't in the middle. I remember that. But you know what? I said, okay, great shot. For me, that was a huge hurdle. It actually, even though I shot an 8, it totally boosted my confidence. I told myself, I'm like, you know what? You stood here and you made a surprise shot with two of the best archers in the world. You know, your first time as a rookie. And for me, those steps were all the steps that I had to make. It's commitment. It's getting fed up with the fact that you have something that you don't like and you got to eventually just stand up for yourself. You know, it's it's a lot like the guy that gets smacked around, you know, the kids that get bullied, you know. Eventually, that kid is going to get fed up with it and the kid's going to come unglued and he's probably going to open up a can of whoop. That's what you got to do. Right now, it's time to open up a can of whoop. You know, you need to decide that you're sick of this, you're going to get over it, get out there by yourself. Um, This Carter Evolution, it's a release that you you set it to go off according to holding weight. So when you draw your compound bow back, you need to know how much you're holding at full draw. If you're holding 17 pounds, then personally, I like to set the Evolution to where When I pull on it with about five more pounds of my holding weight, it'll fire. So I use a bow scale, and I'll set the release. I'll tighten the screw or loosen the screw so that when I pull on it, I have to pull it to, say, about 22 pounds. In that case, if you're holding 17, I would pull it to where it went off at about 22 pounds because then when I hold the safety down, you pull back, you anchor, you look through your peep, you get your your pin towards the target, You let off the safety, and then you have to just focus on what's behind the line. You have to focus on being able to have the proper pull, pulling through that shot, and continuing to build pressure against that wall until you get to the point where you hit that five pounds and that release is going to go off. Sometimes you might have more preload. It might go off a little bit sooner. Sometimes if you're sitting there and you're aiming and you're farting around, It might take you forever. If you put your shoulder in the wrong position, it might not want to go off. So all those things are critical to learning proper shooting. And if you're serious about becoming one of the best archers out there, well, I'm sorry, guys, but that's what it takes. And I've got several shooters that are, you know, within the top few in the world that are out there, and they shoot these things. You know, you look at the people, you look at, um, you know, the Erica Jones, uh, Braden Guillotine, 
uh, you know, Rio, Levi, Jeff Hopkins. I mean, you look at these guys, and right now they're shooting, you know, a surprise shot release. That's all there is to it. You know, you can try to do it your way. You can try to use a caliper release that has a lot of travel in it. And honestly, in my opinion, those types of things are just creating the problem. They're junk, and they're forcing you to start to anticipate when that thing's going to go off. You know, you look at releases on the shelf, and there's a big difference in price between some of them. The ones that don't have movement in the trigger and you can't feel the thing bending and the spring squeezing and all that mess, those are the ones that are going to cause you your problems. If you have a release where you can get your finger on the release and you can apply pressure to it and it fires from pressure and not movement, then that's what you need. You don't need a release that has travel because your brain, the end of your index finger is probably one of the most sensitive things that you've got you can feel pressure change i mean minimal minimal pressure change so if you're feeling that trigger move with your index finger then why would you why would you not start to anticipate it and that's what's happening a lot of the guys that use their thumb their thumb is a little bit less sensitive so you can you can have a variance in your pressure with your thumb and it's harder to 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 actually know so that's why a lot of guys are finding a surprise shot with a thumb but other than that the ultimate way to find it is by pulling so you know i'm going to tell you this story just to show you guys an example of what this is about okay and um i forget when it was but i was over in india for a couple weeks working with some great archers and uh well At the time, performance-wise, there was one good archer. The other ones were, they had amazing heart and amazing commitment, but there was one archer that was already shooting a 1400, and and at the time, I think she held the record for females, and she was the number one. Well, you know, when I watch archers and I see people shoot, there's people that are naturally good, there's people that are just great shots without even thinking about it. But there's also archers out there, and this is true in any sport, that you can just see they have something else. They may not have it all together, but you can tell that they've got the desire and they have all the tools. They have all the blocks. They've got all the Lego pieces. They don't know how to put them together yet, but they've got them all. And, you know, that's what Randy Ulmer saw in me. And, you know, and so he showed me how to build it. So when I was down there, there weren't very many that were executing good shots. They didn't really know what a good shot was. Um, At best, you know, this number two girl was probably shooting in the 330s at 70 meters. Um, So what happened was, and they were... They were having some target panic issues, you know, especially when they got in their head-to-head matches and stuff. So what I did was I set them all up with a string set to their draw length and a Carter Evolution, and I started focusing on teaching them exactly what we talked about, standing on the line, drawing your bow, coming to your anchor, letting off the safety, 
focusing on your pull, focusing only on what's behind the line, pulling that elbow continually back until that release went off. And once each of those archers, once I saw them make those first shots where I knew it was a 10, it looked perfect to me, and I could tell by their reaction that they didn't know when it went off, but it felt good. And I said, okay, now that, that is your benchmark. That's the 10. That's the 10 that you look for. When you execute a shot, regardless of where your arrow lands, in my, on my scale of scoring, that is the 10. And for this whole time that I was there, we didn't keep score. And I don't believe in it as a coach. I don't believe in it. I don't keep score myself. I mean, sorry, guys. I, I keep score at tournaments. Um, you know, obviously, if I'm shooting an indoor round myself and I shoot I shoot for, you know, an hour or two hours and there's not an arrow out of the 10 ring, obviously, I know that I shot clean. But for the most part, I don't keep score on myself because, for me, my score is based off how many good shots I make. So what I started doing with these archers is I had them all lined up on blank bales that were close. I had a a 70-meter target face on all the bales, and I had them drawing their evolution back at five yards. Well, they had a string, and they just sat there, and I had to have them make 36 shots with their strings. And over the next several days, you know, they would tell, I would go along and I'd say, how many good shots did you have? And, you know, a lot of them started out in the 20s, some started out in the teens, and then it started to climb and started to climb because for days, all we did was sit there and execute and focus on what our score would be based on how we shot behind the line. And I remember about three or four days after we had started this exercise, I got to that number two archer, and she told me that she had made 32 good shots. And I said, 32. And she said, yes. Then I said, 32 out of 36. She said, yes. So I said, okay, grab your bow, put it at 70 meters. So we all went out. We went to 70 meters, and this was the first time that she had shot that shot with her sight on the bow and shot at 70 meters in several days. And I stood on the line. I said, okay, here's the deal. You're going to shoot 12 arrows at a time. You're going to shoot an arrow. You're going to look at me and tell me what it was. It was either a good shot or it wasn't a good shot. There's no in between. If it's good, you say yes. If it's not, just shake your head no. I said, when you shoot those 12, we're going to pull the arrows, and we're going to start over. I told her, I said, I don't want you looking to see where your arrow went. I don't want people in the crowd to say, you know, where the arrow went. I said, everyone, we're focusing 100% on what she's doing right here at the line. So we did that, and I believe that time she made 31 or 32 good shots. So when it was all said and done, I said, okay, so you made, we had a fresh target down there, and I said, so you've made 30, I forget the number, whether it was 31 or 32, and she said, yes, and I said, okay, everyone, let's all go down. So when we went down to the target, this girl had shot a 354 at 70 meters, 
a girl that was formerly only capable of shooting in the 330s, three days earlier, she literally shot what would be a contention in, for any of the men out there shooting at that time. And she was completely blown away, as was everyone. But you know what? 32 good shots on the line means, you know, she only had four bad shots. So if 360 is possible, take the four away. That's a 356. You know, like I said, there's always going to be a small little thing that isn't in your control. Wind, maybe your bubble wasn't perfect, something like that. So take another couple off and there you go. That's what it's about. So if you can stand on the line and start executing and keeping track of how many good shots you make and that's your game, then you're going to change the game. I can guarantee it. So, all right, everybody. Well, as much as this podcast has been fun, I've been giving you a couple pointers on target panic. Uh, I've got to get off because I actually need to call Mr. Clint Freeman and uh, get that podcast going that I know you guys are going to be excited about. Um, If you're serious about learning to execute a shot, pulling through a shot, having a surprise shot, definitely look at the Carter Revolution. It's, It's an awesome release. Yes, it takes some learning, but it's awesome. Uh, give them a call. You can you can actually ask for Forrest. Um, Forrest told me that he wants more work, so just ask for him personally. Um, actually, Forrest did not tell me that, so Forrest, if you're listening, sorry, dude. But the reason I'm having you guys call Forrest is because years ago I actually made a DVD to go with that evolution. I'm not sure if they still have any, but um, that could be a great tool for you to learn the basis of how that works. And then you can also see me about five or ten years younger, too. So I'll have less gray and my teeth might be wider. So um, it might be a good way for you guys to, to get started with that release. Um, you know, once again, thanks everybody for listening to Knock On Podcast. Um, there's certainly going to be times when I talk about products and I push you guys towards products, but honestly, it's because these are the things that make a difference. They're things that I take with me when I go to coaching. If I go and work with a country, if I work with a national team, an Olympic team, I'm bringing these products that I talk to you guys about. There is no question about it. I shoot the products that I shoot myself. Um, I'm just telling you guys out there, I want this to be a disclaimer. You know, I'm when I recommend something, it's because I believe in it, uh, not because someone's paying me more to use it. That I can tell you. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And uh, definitely going to have some awesome podcasts soon to come over these next couple weeks. Make sure you get outside and shoot. The weather's going to be awesome. See you guys. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com